Okay, okay but, but this movie? movie? Hi, friends. It's Alex Hi. again. <laughs> we're back I'm with friends. another week of 1408. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> we're back with another week of movies, and my movie this movies. week is 1408. <laughs> To continue <laughs> Halloween month. Hey yo, spooky are you season in that, amongst us. Are you us. in room fourteen oh eight right now? Are you okay? <laughs> I don't know, honestly. I just I'm tripping some major balls over here. <laughs> Alex is currently in room fourteen oh eight. Send help now. <laughs> the Did Dolphin Hotel. Out? I was out. I was I out. I was out. <laughs> Anyways, oh, speaking get of ready, listeners. <laughs> I wanted to go into this two thousand seven Stephen King Jim. Okay. It's got 79% on Rotten Tomatoes. It Ooh. was directed by Michael Hofstrom. It was based on a Stephen King 1999 short story from the audiobook Blood and Smoke, if you're curious. Hmm. It actually got adapted into a different um, book afterwards uh, that I can't remember the name of, but it's in that too if you want to look it up. Basically, it's John Cusack and Samuel L. Jackson and Mary McCormack are all the main cast of this, but mainly John Cusack in a room. What and, a gem. <laughs> Sorry, in the I hotel love, room. I love that family. <laughs> Star in the hotel room. <laughs> You've seen the hotel room in other series. <laughs> so basically what happens is that John Cusack is a writer who had some trauma happen in his past and so he's become very very cynical mm -hmm. and just kind of doesn't believe in anything and so he spends his whole life kind of fucking up everyone else's life by debunking the afterlife okay yeah i want to get into that already <laughs> <laughs> good keep going keep going now keep going Okay, so, so it up for uh, everybody. <laughs> he spends his life writing. He goes to different hotels and haunted places, lighthouses, whatever. And just like, this is the 10 top haunted places. And he's basically just debunking everything. He's like, I didn't see any ghosts, no ghosts. And so we start out with him He's like going, a ghost yelp. And gives them like, he'll be like, this gets five skulls. <laughs> <laughs> Basically. Their muffins get three skulls. <laughs> and then so he ends up, we start the film off where he's kind of doing a book tour and, and no one really cares about his work, it mm -hmm. seems like, because it's kind of like all surface stuff, where it's just like, you know, there's nothing really in depth about his writing anymore. And there's like yeah. a fan that comes up and was just like, can you sign this one for me? And he's like, oh shit, where'd you get this from? And it's one of his first books that's more about his life before the tragic incident happens with his daughter. And his daughter ends up dying from some terminal illness. And it's Ugh. him kind of just avoiding that. The whole movie is kind of just like him avoiding that trauma. And he like left his wife and everything. And funny enough is that that's how it's kind of different from the short story uh, where... Um, the daughter isn't a prominent thing in the short story. She's a thing. She's in there. She dies. But it's more of... Just glaze past that. John Cusack is a chain smoker, and his brother died from lung cancer. And then, so that's more of the trauma base that happens in that one. Was actually... The short story wasn't even supposed to be a short story. He actually ended up writing it... Uh, it started out as like a like a for this other book that he's writing on writing he's like this is how you write a first draft and this is how you paragraph and and he used are you talking about stephen king right now yeah stephen king oh, sorry. okay yeah stephen king started that as a first draft where like this is how you write a first draft and he was using the 1408 as an example but then he's like actually i really like this story so he like took that and he made it into a short story <laughs> wow. and it, he just dived into it more the motivation behind it was that it, it kind of goes into it at the beginning when um, Mike Eisner, which is John Cusack's character. Elsner? He like go, what? Was it Elsner? No. Oh, it was Enslin. Eisner? It was Enslin. Enslin. Okay. Yeah. No, he goes to this. Uh, he gets a postcard in the mail. He's looking for his like next thing, right? He gets a postcard in the mail that says, don't go into 1408. Or don't go, don't enter 1408. Yeah, don't dare enter 1408. And then he realizes that it says 13. And he's like, oh, that's cute. Like, oh, these people really don't want me to come over here. And then so he ends up going to this Dolphin Hotel. <laughs> and the Dolphin Hotel is actually the Roosevelt Hotel. Like, that's all the, the stock oh. images and stuff from New York. But um, the actual, all the inside stuff is from London, a hotel in London. 
and <laughs> I know it's surprise is shocking everywhere. <laughs> but then uh, Samuel L. Jackson is there and he's the manager of the place. He's like, please, for the love of God, do not go into this room. I will let you stay literally anywhere else as long as you don't go into this room. Mm. And he's like, mm, by legal obligation, and I get to pick whatever room I want, basically within reason. If it's available. The Samuel Jackson's like, fine, whatever. You made your own bed, I guess. You know, he, like he put up a fight, but he's like, ultimately, he I don't want to clean up after you. <laughs> yeah, he put up a fight, but ultimately, he ended up going. And then so, um, he leads him up and he's like yeah we're clean here we all these people like here's the files on like the people that died here like 57 people died or 56 and uh actually that was another fun fact too is that like uh there was like a 57 there's officially 56 deaths but he said 57 and that goes into like his fate was already sealed basically by uh john cusack's oh. character that he was going to die essentially but that leads to the other point, too, that I'll get into a little bit later about the different endings that happen. Oh. What happens is that he ends up in the room, and he's just still very cynical. He's like, ah, the room is just, this is, everyone's scared of this room? Like, what are they scared of? Like, it's just a fucking hotel room. And then I, we start getting slowly more and more into it, whereas it's like the chocolate, the chocolates reappear on the bed, and then like the the, the toilet paper slamming. refolds itself. Yeah, and um, the radio. Yeah, the radio. The radio starts so at sixty minutes, and it's like, oh, no one makes it past an hour or whatever. Oh yeah, and the song is just singing like it's just beginning. Yeah, like, yeah, oh. it was good. Which actually brought me to my other point too. Was just like at that at that moment where he was like talking into his little uh, recorder thingy. He was just like, there's something off about hotel rooms. It's like who who knows who stayed there before you? Like mm -hmm. they all have like their weird sketchy stories to tell of like how many people were actually losing their minds and that is the story that kind of stuck with stephen king whereas it's like that is why um they want to or that's why he likes hotels and that kind of goes into the shining too like, it's just like oh. that story that thing of who knows who stayed there these walls could talk yeah exactly and then so it just keeps going further and further down which kind of plays into what i was looking at as dante's inferno and Dante's Inferno, mm. you know, where it starts going further and when further. When he mentions into the different the, levels. The levels of hell. Because it starts out fine and dandy where it's just like, oh, just the chocolates show back up. Oh, just the toilet paper is folded back up. And then it starts getting into where he's like, oh, the window slammed on my hand. My hand's hurt now. And then he gets super mad and calls the front desk. And the front desk is like, too bad, sucks. Because it's not the front desk person anymore, you know? And then he's, like, trying to get help from the people on the street. He throws a lamp on the ground. The gr it just phases out of existence. And then he yeah. sees someone across the way. I thought this was the most scary part of the whole movie. Was when he is trying to get the attention of the person across the, yeah. the building. And uh, the person is just like, oh, I see you, I see you. And then he starts to realize that it's him. Or mm -hmm. you can't tell that it's him yet, but like he starts mimicking, mimicking the same exact yeah. moments. And that is so creepy. And then he pulls the lamp over to his face. And so the thing mimicking him also pulls the lamp over to his face and you see that it's him. Yeah. And this thing is coming up behind him and is just like uh, going to whack him, basically. Yeah. So he turns around and that thing's actually in the hotel room with him. And then that thing phases as, uh, out of existence. It doesn't really go into anything about like where that guy came from. I'm assuming just another victim. But no, it did go into it. Um, did it later. Yeah, later in the scene when the paintings start to come alive, that man was on the ship. Yeah, but I feel like, but at that point, everything was, was kind of off. Well, no, everything in the room was coming alive, so I assumed it was just someone, a bad person on that ship. I okay, assumed that, that it was. Sense. Yeah, yeah, I assumed it was someone who had like some kind of mental break. Because that's the whole premise, like of that room is like you have a mental break there. You you don't go there if you're already okay. Yeah, yeah. That no one, would, no that one would make a lot okay. more sense because, like, I just assume because like the paintings were like changing at that point too, where like the the woman in the back was like looking at these people. Yeah, and then she was in the front, and then like the dogs were all biting the guys in the hunt and everything like that. But what? was shown to me in my research was that like the this is actually the room is the room is catered to each person yeah so he went in with the grief of his kid that he yeah. never dealt with 
And so what we actually see unfold is like the five stages of grief actually come through where, mm. you know, like you have the denial of like, he's just like, I don't believe someone is in this room. Like someone is in this room fucking with me. It cannot be an entity. It cannot be evil. It cannot be mm. any of these things. Like he starts denying it that way. And then he starts getting angry. Like yeah. when he goes to the mini fridge and he's like, freaking raging out that was such a strong acting scene by the way i was just like go john cusack (laughs) truly and then he got hurt by the window too and he calls the front desk he's like you guys fucking suck like i'm hurt you like what are you doing like i want to check out all of these things and he even starts out like when they when he wants the um heating fix the thermostat like and then then that's his last like interaction with the outside of the room yeah yeah and if that that was real yeah that who knows if that was real i didn't think that that guy was real real. for a long time because he was being i I, I still question it yeah yeah he he was kind of sus i thought he was kind of out because like the front desk person kind of seemed like oh yeah we'll just send someone right up you know like it wasn't any like questioning it at all like aren't you in 1408 or like you know we don't go up there but my expectation would be like we'll send somebody in the morning like i'm sorry about that sir or we'll accommodate you in a different room yeah, literally anything else. So, like, who knows? You know, that was kind of weird, I thought. Oh, but uh, then, yeah, and the mini fridge scene, obviously. And then he starts to bargain when he, like, goes out the window to, like, make it over to the other room where the mm-hmm. baby's screaming. Mm. And uh, he makes it halfway, or he makes it to where the window's supposed to be, but it's not there anymore. And then he's, so he's like, oh, shit. He's like, I have to go back into the room. And he's like, oh, please don't let me die. Like, let me back into this room. Like, I just want to go back into this room, you know? And then, so he bargains that way, too. And then um, the depression happens after he goes through that fake he got out scene and yeah. he writes that whole book and which that whole, that whole scene was really good too well because you get hope too because hope is like that i what i can i get sorry can i dig in real quick <laughs> please by all means um that scene was particularly scary for me because for me when like because we're in halloween horror month you know um for me like the scariest thing is when you have hope and it gets taken away from you yeah that is scarier than anything else and i was thinking i was like so i i know this sounds crazy but i was so excited to tell you this when i was watching the movie (laughs) i was like (laughs) i can't wait to tell alex about this like um but that was just such an epiphany i had was just that that's the scary part about it is that things were great I was out. I was out. And that was like yeah. the scariest part is like, you, you weren't. You yeah. never left. Like yeah. there is, there is no hope. You had, it was false. It was fake. It was, it's a farce. Yeah. That was the scariest part for me. And I was just like, I got the chills right then. Like yeah, no lie. No cap, no printer. I think that goes into um, the daughter too, where the daughter's just like, <sighs> I'm going to die. You know, like she, she knows, like she knows. Yeah. And then, like, the the parents are all hopeful, you know? They're just like, oh, you know, like, you'll, we'll make it out of this. Like, if you don't, you know, like, there's a God. Like, God is there to help you. And then she's like, do you really believe that? And he's like, yeah. But you can tell that he's doubtful because from the very beginning of it, he's like, what type of God would do this to a kid? You know? And that kind of plays into the whole Dante's Inferno, too, where he's, like, in hell. Or, like, this evil spirit. Like, you can say it's demonic and you can say it's all these things. It's not ghosts. He's not dealing with ghosts anymore. There's ghosts of people there, I guess you could say. But I think he went in where it was one of those things where he manifested a lot of this stuff, too, of stuff that he didn't deal with before. Yeah. It was like, oh, this is fake, but I'm still expecting something to show up because that's my whole job. And then so all of these things were showing up, too. But anyways, like that, just the hope, yeah, is devastating, absolutely devastating. So that's where the depression comes from, is because like he has that hope and he gets it ripped away, and then mm-hmm. now he's sitting in the the hotel room living room, and like the the water already happened, like the sprinklers went off and just filled the room with water type of thing, and then the the thermostat's broken now, where now it's freezing, and the freezing like it everything's just kind of frosted over, and he's just sitting yeah. there like talking to his little recorder, and he's just like I'm gonna die here basically, you know I've like lived a life of a bad guy type of thing, yeah, and, and then so like that's his depression state, and then we get we finally reach the acceptance part when the hour starts over 
And uh, you can tell, which reminded me of that SpongeBob episode, honestly, where SpongeBob has the Flying Dutchman over, and the Flying Dutchman keeps trying to scare SpongeBob. (laughs) And then SpongeBob is just like, he's just stone faced. He's like, I've been scared so much, I don't even care anymore. (laughs) That's what that was John Cusack's face during the whole thing. Yeah, honestly, like, what else can you do to me? Well, I I wanted to kind of dig into, like, the stories part because he he eventually like it shows that scene where he's like arguing his wife like you fed her all these stories and this hope like she didn't want to fight because she knew she'd have it easier when she died you know kind of thing right and it made me realize that like that's exactly why he took on that job of debunking is he kind of wanted to see if his wife was actually right and i think i don't think he was trying to debunk i think he was trying to find like maybe she will be around maybe she can maybe there will be a ghost of her maybe she isn't having if i find some evidence of this and i think it became him debunking because he was like no i didn't find her here no i didn't find her here and i think it became that and that's what was so scary about this place is because this was the place like he, he went in with the same attitude and he heard her she he saw her he touched her like he he yeah experience the senses with her and it was so i don't know i was just thinking that the whole time i was like you're really trying to find her everywhere you're really trying to find was it katie was her name yeah um like you're just looking for her in every one of these hotels and like you're debunking them and like so like i don't know i think like as a result of that he ended up disappointing people but i don't think he was trying to like i think it was just as a result of him discovering that some things weren't always as they seemed yeah i could see that i can 110 percent see that because he does want that hope but he hasn't been finding it so yeah which is devastating especially when that's why he was so okay with accepting it in the end yeah like because at that point you know like the daughter comes through and then she's like daddy it's not gonna let me stay insinuating that this thing has some control over the afterlife Mm -hmm. too you know which that's insane that's but she's like it's not letting me stay so i would i would argue that she was actually there like the spirit of her was there i don't think you know obviously well what does that make you think of the end (laughs) so this is where it starts getting tricky okay because there's so many different endings to this movie oh yeah tell me about these because i i um, I wanted to look it up so bad but i didn't (laughs) (laughs) i appreciate it okay so there's the theatrical version that came out okay and i have this version on dvd and that's what i watched and that is that when his acceptance phase he realizes that okay i need to take out this hotel room i am going if i'm gonna die in here i'm going to take it out with me it should not be around anymore so Mm -hmm. he lights the the alcohol on fire and throws it against the wall and lights the whole room on fire and what ends up happening is that the wife saves him well actually she doesn't get there she does she does get there but like the the firefighters get there first and so they they bust him out they save him he's he's alive he goes about his life and uh starts writing a book again which is the same book that he wrote in his fake version of him getting out and uh he starts playing the little recorder thing which actually i wanted to go into the imagery of that too (sighs) that was so scary when it played things that he did not say can we say like (sighs) that was scary (laughs) yeah that was it was so rough but like the imagery of like when his when he's typing out the book and everything is just white in the room and like the even the wife is wearing white and it's just mm-hmm. uh, to sh- and like the bookshelf is completely clear of everything it's just like a new beginning for him like a he has been cleansed slate. of his grief type of thing or he knows how to deal with it at least you know he did deal with it in such a harsh way you know but he ultimately conquered it you know and then so he's able to move on and he's able to restock these shelves and just start over basically and like the white is just such a symbol of like purity and stuff like that and he's over there dressed in black still (laughs) so that makes me question did he get out you know is yeah it was a very inception thing for me too (laughs) yeah and then so um i was out 
<laughs> exactly. Was he out? We don't know. And that's what I love about this movie, too, is like, we don't know. And then so assuming that this is real, that he did get out and he's like playing that tape recorder back. Mm -hmm. And then the wife hears the daughter's voice, too. And she's like, oh, my God, this like what he said was true. <laughs> yeah. Like this ending makes it so like there's no room for error. It's very much that something did, in fact, happen in that room. You yeah. know, like there very much is an afterlife. It wasn't just in his head. It was something. Yeah. And then so I think that's interesting in just terms that like it's no longer open ended anymore. You know, yeah. I think. And then so that brings me to the next point of the director's cut, which is now if you get a more recent DVD copy, they actually change that into the ending. And if you stream it on anything, that is going to be the ending is the director's okay, cut. Okay, that's what I saw. Yeah, and so the director's cut is that Mike dies in the fire and uh, Samuel L. Jackson goes up to the wife at the funeral and was like, oh, I have some belongings for you that he left in the hotel room. And she's like, I don't want that. And then he gets in his car and starts listening to it and he hears the daughter's voice. And ah. then he looks in his rearview mirror and sees Mike burnt up in the back seat, you know? And then he sees like the daughter and the guy walking away in the rearview mirror as well at the cemetery, which I think insinuates that like, you know, the dad and the daughter are now together in whatever realm of existence there is if they're ghosts if they're heaven or whatever but that mike and katie are now together but it also kind of leaves like is he still there and then it kind of cuts over to where mike is now stuck in the hotel room too and he's just there uh and then he kind of like walks off into the distance like going out towards the exit of the hotel room uh with katie that way too i haven't seen that version the i saw the other one where he brings the room and he listens to the recording after oh yeah no so that's what the director's cut was, was oh. that whole thing where he's still stuck in the room as ghost form and then i uh, there's a blu-ray ending that what? actually there's two different types of blu-ray so endings. only if you have it you have it <laughs> yeah so you really have to dig deep into this one okay so the blu-ray ending is that mike dies but mike's publisher the monk guy he ends up Ugh. getting the manuscript from that fake world that he got out of he got the manuscript of that book of his time in the 1408 and okay. so the, the publisher publishes that book and then that's the end of that one the other one is just it didn't go into details of the research uh, on the research that i did but it's just like slightly different than when mike lives like that ending where mike lives and he's out with the recording and everything this is slight differences in that one and these are all different from the book ending so <laughs> oh my god <laughs> the <sighs> book ending Mike when will says, this ending? No I'm kidding. Mike actually he doesn't set the place on fire. Like he does, but he doesn't throw the alcohol against the wall on fire and set it that way. He actually sets himself on fire wearing the shirt still. The whole place burns, but he still gets out of the room while it's on fire and uh. there's a passing by guest that like puts him out and he lives that way. Oh wow. Yeah. And so that actually causes him to give up writing and he is in a whole different trauma field, which is a very dark ending. So yeah. the original very, a very ending, Stephen King. <laughs> yeah, their original ending, the director's cut for the movie, I uh, got really bad reviews from the, the focus group because it was too dark of like seeing Mike burnt up in the back seat and everything like that. And that's why they came out with the theatrical version of like he oh. lives and you hear the recording. So it's just people a bunch want of, a happy ending. Yeah, um, like you know, it's Stephen King. You want to see a horror movie? What do you want from me? And yeah. I, I thought originally when I started watching this movie again that no one else was actually on that same floor that he was on. Like it was just him, but it insinuated that there was a neighbor next to him, like the crying yeah. baby. But it was his wife and him. So I thought, and like, it seemed like no one even went on that floor anyways. You no. know, like the, the management wouldn't allow anyone on that floor because it's too close to that room. So I, that kind of goes against what happens in the book ending where like a, a person on the same floor came over and put Mike out and saved his life basically but uh 
the thing in the air duct i don't know what that is it doesn't Ew, really go into so it either creepy. but it was just gross <laughs> it was just gross and uh, i kind of wanted to go into like the the fan theories of the postcard that mike gets in the mail and that is oh, yeah, who sent uh, that? yeah that is the question who sent that so the fan theories are the hotel itself sent it to claim another victim which I was like, I would love that if the hotel sent out postcards. <laughs> yeah. And that would explain, like, the fancy writing Don't and everything. Don't come that no to one, our room. Like, no one uses cursive anymore. And then, so I was like, it would make more sense. And then uh, the other one would be Samuel L. Jackson's character, Mr. Olin, sent out the postcard to him. And he was supposed to be acting as, like, an angel and being like, just take out this room. Like, you're the only one who can take out mm. this room. Which, well, how do we know he theory. was real? I was going to say, like... No one knows. There's actually a deleted scene, too, um, of that scene where he's in his fake reality for a second. And he's at the post office. And, like, they start tearing down the walls and stuff like that. The deleted part of that is that Samuel L. Jackson's character is there at the post office and he takes the manuscript and he's just like i warned you about that room and like that kept showing up in trailers uh, that particular scene and i was like i didn't see that in the movie what is it talking about but it's yeah. a deleted scene where he's like i oh. warned you about that room and then he just kind of walks off but they deleted it because it insinuates that mr olin's actually evil like he yeah. actually wanted him to die there or something like that and then uh, I kind of want to also go into um, 13 is all around this movie. The number 13 is, as we know, a superstitious evil yeah. number. Okay, so well, I mean, it technically wasn't in the elevator. Because <laughs> you said it was all over. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Okay, so like... That was a reference. That's something they did. That, that That's where 13 appeared in a way. Is yeah, by saying it didn't appear. There's a lot of references to other Stephen King movies in this movie as well, like the, the people who call on the phone and the phone's melting, and that's from a different Stephen King movie. And then mm. like there's a, another guest that's named after one of the people from The Shining, and there's a couple of other ones. But uh, back to the 13, um, obviously we start out with 1408. There's no 13th floor, but it's still technically on the 13th floor, you know. Uh, the release month and year of this movie which was june 2007 if you add those two numbers together is 13 and then the first death that happened in the room was 1912 if you add that up it's still uh that's not 13 yeah. what is it talking about no it is one plus nine is 10 plus one is 11 plus two is 13 you're right i can't math so <laughs> that adds up to 13 too and then when he Leave opens that up in the podcast <laughs> <laughs> when he opens up the bible initially when he first enters the room it enters the chapter 11 samuel 2 which is 13 oh yeah yeah yes and then the postcard that says don't enter 1408 if you add up all the letters and numbers it equals 13 as well oh you're right yeah it's crazy the amount of 13s is in here so it's just there's this movie is so good and like you know stephen king movies are kind of hit or miss because like apparently the the books are so good you know where uh everyone says obviously the book version is better than the movie adaptation and uh the i think with stephen king in particular like his books are so dark and that doesn't fly very well in hollywood as much so it's kind of hit or miss of like how that's actually going to be portrayed in Hollywood. But I mm. think this is one of the better Stephen King movies that's ever been adapted. Um, I think the newer is pretty good too, but uh, just visual wise. I love the I also, <laughs> That's well, my favorite. Do you want to hear something funny? Is yes. that this is going to be like our fourth week here where uh, Keanu Reeves shows up because he was supposed to be John Cusack's character. Really? <laughs> I could see him doing that. I could see him doing it too. And I'm just Especially like Especially the surfer scenes. <laughs> yeah, see, I'm telling you, this man is everywhere. I didn't realize how much a, he was a, such a hot commodity in He's like so the, the 90s. In Hollywood. 90s and like early 2000s. I'm like, Dang. Well, everyone especially wanted, after freaking The Matrix, too. Yeah, everyone wanted it on Keanu. Yeah. <laughs> and then Kate Walsh was supposed to play Lily, 
the wife and Kate Walsh is from Grey's Anatomy, so she had to drop out because she was on Grey's Anatomy and it was conflicting schedules. And then so ultimately the other girl was cast. And if you notice, like they only filmed her from the waist up because she was pregnant at the time oh. in real life. <laughs> well, good for her. Still casting that. Yeah, <laughs> and then so I just thought, you know, did like a great job. I'm so glad that he recorded everything and documented everything, just like our other movie. <laughs> oh, um, you mean the Blair Witch Project? <laughs> That's the one. All right. So, yes, we are talking about the Blair Witch Project. I don't know if that was established after the, the two times I said it. <laughs> uh, uh, and we're talking about the original one, not like the remake or not like the sequels, I guess, is what they are. Um, I'm talking about we're, we're talking about the 1999 version. Um, uh, I'm not going to go into last names, but it starred Heather, Josh, Mikey and Heather's snot, to be honest. <laughs> Like, honestly, like, half the movie... I, I think I told you this when we picked it. I was just, like, half of it is just her going, like, and sniffling. So. Leave her alone, okay? She's in a, a traumatic experience right now. But she also had a lot of allergies, I guess. Um, True. But uh, it was... I actually really enjoyed rewatching this. I hadn't seen it since, like, I think in 10 years. Um, really? So, I yeah. It, like, a couple months ago. Oh, <laughs> no. I, I had given it some time. Um, I mean, obviously I have my issues, um, but it was a goodie. Let's see. It was directed by, uh, Daniel Merrick and Eduardo Sanchez, which is kind of funny because like it's for those, uh, followers that are, so those listeners that don't know, um, it's like a found footage movie, which is kind of like they use regular people cameras, not Hollywood cameras. <laughs> I don't know what that means. Yeah, um, which not Hollywood very popular. Quality. No, but it was after that, uh, and I do want to get into that. Um, but it was just, like, random footage, and it put together the story as opposed to, like, directed scenes. Um, and this is, like, this one watched so, like, VHS and Paranormal Activity could run, uh, <laughs> which were, I think, pretty famous. Um, Cloverfield, too. Cloverfield, and Quarantine. And so Yes, oh, that quarantine. as well. Quarantine, that's a good one. Yeah, a goodie, huh? The, the chick from Dexter. Um, yeah. But the it was just one of the first ones, so or one of the big big ones, I should say, because um, there was you know that wasn't just the only one out there. Um, but that was just a really famous one because, like, it said uh, the premise of the movie is like uh, this happened in 1994, and a year later, all this footage was found, and like we haven't found these people. And so at the film festivals, like they would put um, promotions with. Um, signs saying that the actors were missing um to kind of promote the movie yeah. um but some people like actually believed it and would like go on to like the whatever the imdb was at the time or i think imdb was around um and they would go on and be like oh who are these actors and like it'd say they were dead um and like they really went into it and um it was just it was just very for serial guys. Like <laughs> yeah, a lot of people were debating whether this is actually a real movie or not. Or yeah, if it actually was found footage, if it w was a real case. Um, and like, so that's, what's interesting. So, um, they hired actors and what they had did for the auditions was like, they had said they'd given the prompt that if you like, say you're in jail and you're about to be given parole, like what excuse do you give us? And like that, the girl, the woman they ended up picking for Heather said, like, you shouldn't let me out or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> and so they're like, okay, let's hire her right now. Like, take her Love in. It. Like, she's it's under the forest. <laughs> that's the attitude that I want. <laughs> <laughs> that's, what we, that's what we're looking for. And so, um, and also that actress apparently, or that woman, she ended up taking a knife with her because she was nervous about being with two guys in the middle of a forest in a tent. Like, it wasn't like they were fully alone. Like, so the producers would follow them around and be within like a proximity and they'd have, they would be in walkie talkie range. So did they have a script? They had to have a script, right? N no. Really? So they were given like a script of lore. Like, you know, like this is what the mythology is for the story. Like, this is what happened. Like, these are the stories and like base your improvisation off of all this wow and yeah How are they not in more things then those actors are amazing i don't know maybe them well i i mean you know like they had to commit for a while so they probably could not audition for things for a while 
And Whatever. so like, just think of all the, it. just think of like how out of practice they could have been. I don't know. Maybe they like decided after like, you know, I made enough money. I don't need to. Cause they made it, it ended up being in the Guinness like world records for like making hella money because they didn't spend very much on it. And it was like pure profit. Yeah. Like yeah. they ended up selling one of their cameras that they use. So they made profit off of that. <laughs> like they um, rented one of their cameras or something. So they made profit off of that. Like it was just little things like that. Um, but the people that they interviewed at the beginning of the movie were actors. So the ones who gave the story of the Blair Witch, the people they interview in the town of Bricketsville, uh, Maryland, um, they were actors. Okay. okay. So like they were given scripts. So the stories that they gave Heather, Josh and Mikey, those were fabricated stories for certain, like those weren't improvised. Okay. And then I didn't know that. Yeah, so that's what we're here for. But with, okay, but this movie <laughs> that makes me <laughs> love this movie even more because, like, I argue this all the time. Where the, a lot of people don't really like this movie because uh, in like horror movies, everyone's like, "I want to see what they're killing or like what they're against or whatever the heck," and this movie doesn't show that. And then <laughs> a lot of and like and plus it's found footage and that's not very popular either. But I'm like, let's how let's look how good this movie is. Where literally. All it is is camera angles and lighting and acting. That's it. Like, there's well, nothing else that goes into it. So it's interesting you said that because they actually had planned to show the Blair Witch. Thank God they didn't. Yeah. So they had some. They had somebody dressed up. They had somebody there with them. So the producers would follow them around and mess with them at night. And if you notice, the story was, like, really just boring during the daytime and, like, their fights would escalate. And that's because the producers would give them less and less food each day. Um, and they filmed this over the course of just eight days. Wow. This All is... their footage was from yeah, eight days. Yeah, this place is nuts. Oh, my God. Yeah, and so the producers would give them less and less food to cause more discord between them. Um, and so they were just, like, still staying in their characters, though. Um, and so the scene where um, <clears throat> they're shaking the tent, that was the producers. And they had not told them they were going to do that. Um, they had signed an agreement at the beginning that, like, we could do whatever we want, pretty much. And you that's part of the movie. That's crazy. Wow. <laughs> yeah, and right? they improved the everything, too, to be like, oh, record this, record this. This is definitely a part of the movie or whatever the fuck. Yeah. So oh, they stayed in character the whole time. I'm sure they had breaks. Like, I'm, I, you have to. Right, um, yeah. But they did that, and so in one of those scenes where they're running out of the tent, it's um, whoever's holding the camera was supposed to pan over to the Blair Witch, and they just forgot to do it. Like, and just in the flurry of things happening, they forgot to pan over to the person that was dressed up as a Blair Witch. Wow. Yeah, and so they ended up, they didn't reshoot it. They reshot some things. Um, but I don't remember which ones exactly, but for the most part, they didn't reshoot anything because they just wanted it to be look even more found footagey than it was. So like people really thought that these kids had gone missing. Um, they really thought that like there was something going on there. And so uh, coincidentally, hunting season had a really uh, hard time then because there were so many people out backpacking and in that area and making their own Blair Witch projects that hunters like couldn't hunt because they would accidentally hit people if they did. Wow. Yeah. And they, the, the, place that um you know how they find that house at the end with the runes backwards yeah which is also an important note when runes are backwards it means it has an evil intention for the reader um when um that house was like um, a historic place like in that state in maryland and they ended up having to like take it down or like close it because too many people were going there and like just all these weird things happen like after the movie or before. Yeah, like, because the, or, like, when the movie was starting to get, like, released, like, people were, like, oh. you know, hyping up. Um, yeah, they yeah, ended yeah. up not even playing the Blair Witch Project in a theater in the Burkittsville, Maryland. So, Burkittsville is real. Yeah. Um, and I don't, I don't know if it was really named Blair, because that's what they said in the movie. I, I, yeah. that I'm not sure about. But I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah, so they didn't air the movie there, because there was just too much hype already, and they just... They were dealing with a lot. Oh, might as well just give the people something to do, you know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, it's, I don't The know. hype's going to get out there anyways. The people are going to come and flock anyways. Might as well just get the people of the town something to reference, I guess, you know, if they're coming anyways. Yeah, but anyways, people found out about it later, and they're just like, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. Um, 
and I don't know. I gave it 10 out of 10 scaries. It yeah. still got me. 100%. It, like, like I said, it's nothing. Like, all they did was make sounds and stuff in the distance. And it's all the acting and the camera angles and the yeah. darkness of everything makes it super scared. Like, you're scared the whole time. I was scared the whole time, you know? Yeah. And I'm just over here, not obviously in any danger, but I'm just like, God, these people. Could you imagine being stuck in the forest? And, like, even when <sighs> they start talking about um, when Josh takes the camera and starts filming Heather and he's like, oh, I can see why you like it behind the camera because it, it kind of seems like this isn't reality. It's not like it's actually happening and everything like that. And right, so yeah. I think that us as a viewer, we kind of get the same sense too. Like it's kind of like a mockery of us to viewing this, you know, of just like we aren't experienced this type of fear that they are going through. But to them, it is very real, you know, Yeah. the characters anyways. No, and they really, the actors really did go through it, which is, like, even scarier to know as a viewer, is, like, they actually were scared many times. Um, like, the last scene, like, where they're in the house, and, like, um, for the listeners out there that didn't watch it, um, what the character Josh goes missing one morning, and they're just constantly looking for him, um, both Heather and Mikey, and they eventually hear them at this house, the Blair Witch House or whatever, but he goes missing and it's just so spooky and they just hear him throughout. And like, one of the things that really scared me, I'll go into this. One of the things that really scared me was when Heather was like, I feel like Josh would tell us where he is. Why isn't he answering us? And it was just like, is he there? Like, and at this point, um, uh, for the listeners out there, they had, um, she had found a bundle of sticks outside their tent. And this was after they heard his voice at, at, at night and they weren't sure if it was him. And before they went to the house, and she found that bundle of sticks, and it had were they were they teeth? Yes, I looked yeah. this up a long time ago. They were real teeth that they yeah. got from like a dentist office or something like that, and they just put some fake blood on it. First of all, gross. They did not have to do that. Second of all, <laughs> um, yeah, like so she opens it up and there's teeth in there and his hair, and yeah. or it's presumably. I mean, you can't. I mean, well, I'm not a doctor. Okay, so- this might go back and forth too where like because remember at the beginning they interview that girl that was just like the blair witch was just covered in hair she was just like oh, a hairy lady yeah yeah where it could have been the blair witch she blair was hairy and hair strange because, and had a shawl yeah, because that was black hair that was in there and josh has blonde hair oh <gasps> that's a good point but it also could be covered in blood and just be thick uh, you know and yeah. look, uh, look dark but i would I would like to think that it was the Blair Witch hair. And, like, but what does a bundle of sticks mean? It's, like, my thing. I, did, I don't, I didn't find I don't anything know. on well, that. Well, that's the thing with all of it, too, where there's the the pile of rocks, and they were saying, like, that's for uh, Native Americans did that for their burial grounds. Yeah. And so that makes me believe that the whole place is just kind of haunted anyways. It's not just, like, one witch person, or maybe it's, like, the like, protector of this. Like, it's just a couple things that play yeah and then they were also saying the people at the town too where there was a like a serial killer that was going around abducting kids and he was the one that was forcing the kids into the corner and like having Mm. them face the corner and then killing the other one and then turn around and do that but as we know at the end of this movie you know we find like mike and uh, heather are trying to chase after josh in the house because they keep hearing them and they end up in the basement and you see mike in the corner so you just presume yeah. that they both die you know but uh so kind of repeating what happened yeah so that makes me wonder if this serial killer guy uh was possessed yeah, that's, I think it kind of alluded to that at one point, too. Yeah, but uh, what confused me, though, about that is that, like, that guy went to court. While he was in court, he was just saying that he couldn't have the kids look at him, so it didn't sound like he was, like, under any spell or anything was the issue, you know? So I'm like, if that's the case, then is his spirit the one that's there haunting things? Maybe he's another one helping. Because, like, it sounded like she was always, like, whenever they'd hear voices, it sounded like someone was talking to someone. Yeah, Yeah, and there was a bunch of kids, like, laughing and giggling and stuff like that. And then, like, but there was the other thing where, like, there's, like, the stick people up in the trees, too. Yeah, that was interesting. And like, I don't know what it is with the sticks. They never go into it. I think it's... No, and I couldn't find very much either. (laughs) 
Really? I wonder. But those little creepy dolls were just like the worst, like the ones that were in the trees that were just all over. It's just like, are those representations of your victims? Like, oh, yeah, that was that's what I was going to go into is that like there isn't that's what adds to the creep factor of this movie is that there isn't an explanation for a lot yeah. of stuff. Like, it kind of alludes to everything. You know, it could be this, it could be that. Ultimately, all we know for sure is that there is something in the woods that is messing with these people. And yeah. that actually goes into um, how they were walking south the whole time, and then oh. they end up in the same spot. We and walked for 15 hours. Yeah, that makes me believe that there was something off about that area anyways in terms of, like, magnetism. Kind of so like make the compass spot. go off. Yeah, to make the compass go off, too. And then, so, like, that could be a whole separate thing. Mm. Or it just could be, like, literally the entities messing with them. Who knows what is or happening. Or, like, you know why did he throw the map into the creek in the first place? Like, why? Why? Yeah. Other than it wasn't serving us? Like, did you guys just not trust her? Like, what is this? He didn't trust her. He was having the rough time, which uh, there's so many things wrong with Mike, I think, in this one, because, like... So was he possessed early on? Because he was the one... That's what I was thinking. Was he also the one that kicked over the rocks that they found? Because one of them accidentally kicked over the rocks, remember? I don't think it was an accident. I think they actually did it on purpose, which I think it was him. And, like, he was, like, an ass at the beginning. And you can tell that... Heather and Josh are good friends, and then Mike yeah. just kind of agreed to go and be like well, the, uh, what was he, the camera guy? Yeah, well, interestingly, they had originally intended for them to be a love interest, but that didn't test very well, and they ended up doing that for, like, one of the sequels, like, having a love interest plot, but they found that, like, people didn't like that. They just wanted the horror. They wanted to be scared. Yeah, So that's I why, agree. but in reality, when they were filming... And they cut this out. Heather and Josh fought the most. Oh, okay. So, like, when they're filming, like, the actors were fighting. Like, the re- there's more footage that, obviously, they didn't use. And okay. in, within all that footage, they actually fight more. And in the movie, it just shows Heather and Mikey fighting more, which is interesting. That is interesting. But, I mean, like, I guess if they know each other more, you know, like, they kind of have, like, that dynamic already going on. But, like, that, it still goes back to the whole point of, like, Mike was... He started out like the complete ass. He's like, I don't even want to be here. Like, this isn't yeah. making any sense. The you you don't know what you're talking about with the map. And then uh, he completely shifts once Josh is, goes missing too. Actually, like right when Josh gets like that slime all over his bag. Yeah, the, which was KY, by the way. <laughs> That's, <laughs> That's hilarious. hilarious. But, he, like, Josh starts crying. He's like, I'm just breaking down. You know, like, everyone's at their tail's end. And then, like, Mike just, like, okay. he's like, you know, leave him alone. He's okay. He became, like, the voice of reason a little bit. I That's think up until he goes into the house and the house, he's just, like, running around looking for Josh so intensely, which I'm so confused as to why they would do that because Josh was missing for a whole day. You know, and then they hike that whole time and end up in the same spot. And then they actually know this time around they ended up in a different spot, but they hear Josh again. Yeah. And then so they're just like, why is he? And he's screaming. He's saying, help me. Like only at night, you know, and he's not saying where he is and all of these things. And then so Mike is like, okay, let's go find him. Yeah, he's like, oh, he's upstairs, and he starts seeing the handprints on the wall, and it's becoming super sus, and he's leaving Heather behind, and then Heather's just like, Mike, Mike, and she's like screaming his name, and he's like, oh, I hear him in the the basement. Yeah, and he goes down there, and then the mic, or the the camera drops. So, I'm surprised he didn't die first, honestly, but of course he had to go into the corner. (laughs) Yeah, he had to go look at the corner, because he can't look, he can't look, he just has to listen. Yeah, but I feel like Heather should have gone to the corner first. <laughs> Into the corner with you, Heather. Yeah, I think they were just tired of hearing her, so they're like, let's just take her out first. <laughs> oh, poor Heather. I'm just she bitter. Did <laughs> she did great. Uh, she did, and uh, I don't know. This movie is just so good. I, I can't express to you enough how good it is with just, obviously, the budget was not big. You know, no. and then look at what came out of it. Like this, uh, I would still say that is it's a it's a well known movie. It is, yeah, but it's not a well liked movie. I would say just because of the element of 
the found footage, first of all, because a lot of people get motion sickness from those ones. Yeah, I, I read about that. <laughs> Sucks to suck. <laughs> so I'm like, that's your own fault. And then there's the <laughs> other element of like, you don't see what they're fighting. And a lot of people don't like that either because they want to have answers. People like answers, you know, and if you don't see what's happening, then they're just like, it that wasn't that good. It. I didn't get to see anything and you don't get to see anything the whole time. So you could argue that nothing actually happens in this movie, mm. essentially, you know, but obviously they created this whole thing and then they created sequels from it. Yeah. And the sequels, I know that I kind of watched the second one. I didn't like it because it was so I bad. Did not. It was so bad. It, it didn't have anything to do with this movie at all. And then the the new one, I like how they could, if you watch that one, did you watch that one? No, what is it? The Woods? There's like the, the Shadow of the Blair Witch, The Woods. There's like all these ones. Oh, there's a whole bunch? I thought there was only three. But there, yeah, the Book of Shadows Book is like the Shadows. second one. <laughs> Book of Shadows is like Charmed. And then... Um... <laughs> oh, that's right. <laughs> Same and universe. There's the Blair Witch... And that is supposed to be Heather's younger brother goes back into the woods to go find some answers about what happened to his sister that went missing. Mm. But it was this, bad. This is like, I feel like it was in, this movie is like, I had just a meta moment. It reminds me of like the whole premise of like Josie and the Pussycats. Like, just like, this is what marketing, <laughs> this is what happens with marketing. And like, we were all convinced of this storyline that we were fed and we find out it was like all fake in the end and it was just a movie. Yeah, there's a website. Once again, one of my top favorite movies. So I've looked up a whole bunch of stuff about this. <laughs> but there's a website that someone runs for this movie and it goes more in depth of like it's actually real. Oh, interesting. <laughs> no, and I'm just like... Well, that, I feel that... like the actor's fear is real and I think that that's what makes it really good. Yeah. Which reminds me of that other movie, um, what's that, that French film, the, the blue is the warmest color. Mm-hmm. It was kind of shot the same Why? way. Be, it was the shot the same way where like they ended up changing the main character's name to the actor's name because they yeah. used so much footage that wasn't mm. on, that wasn't scripted, that wasn't supposed to be a oh, part of it. They I were didn't just realize like, that. Yeah, they're like, be real as possible, be real as possible. And the, the, the director kept filming them when they were like not on set. And then so they ended up using a lot of that footage. Oh, wow. So another found footage inspired film. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't think so. Did you so. ever watch um, VHS like that series? Yes, I did. I actually like I love those. Those are really well made. Uh, for the listeners out there, I, I guess we should do a VHS month eventually. <laughs> yeah, we're going to start getting into the series pretty soon, I think. I Actually, yeah. I think our next week one is a series. Oh, yeah. What are we doing uh, next week? Oh, oh, the orphan, the prequel, and the equal. <laughs> <laughs> that's what, folks, that's what the, the regular movie's called. There's the pre- the prequel. And if it's not a prequel or a sequel, it's an equal. <laughs> what's it called first kill we'll see what happens with that because they have the original actress does she have her first kill she might i don't know i don't know we'll find out when we watch it i know we'll have to see we'll continue with halloween horror month and uh, i hope everyone enjoyed 1408 and the blair witch project i sure did yeah i sure did peace everybody peace You can listen to new episodes of Okay But This Movie every Monday at 8 a.m. on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Anchor. Be sure to follow us on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter so you can stay updated. Later, Later, Gators. Gators. Into the corner with you, Heather.